0: Opening Doors Strategies for Talking About Sexuality. Session 3, Day 2, presented by Mitchell Tepper at our 2019 SCI Conference Connections, Sexuality, and Relationships After Spinal Cord Injury. Let's listen in.
1: How many of you have children? Okay, uh, keep your hands out. How many of you have uh, nieces and nephews? Okay, that's most everybody. How many people were at least a child at some point in their life? <laughs> All right, all right. So you should be able to understand this from one perspective or another. Um, When we talk about talking about sexuality, right, with children, right, we think about the big talk. Has anyone heard about you know the big talk? When are you going to have the big talk with with your kids? So you know when? And people ask me as a sexuality educator, when should I have the talk about sexuality? It's the same. Question you're asking about readiness, right? When are they ready? When should we have that talk? Um, but as a sexuality educator, just want to make sure we get everyone here. You know, we're all transitioning. Um, when we're talking about teaching people about sexuality, we think about teaching them about their bodies, you know, as they grow and how they function and how they feel. And how they relate to other people, you know, early on and based on what's developmentally appropriate, right? So we may teach one thing to somebody while they're toilet training, right? So I taught my son, you know, the words for his body when I was giving him a bath. So he knew by the time he was three, he had penis and testicle and scrotum. He had a language to talk about sexuality, right? There. And as he got older, I might talk about, well, why are you not allowing that person? Your mother's a girl too, you know, so as they age and as situations come and become developmentally appropriate, uh, we give them more information so I'd say the same is true when you're talking to your patients about sexuality and sexuality and education, okay so we're going to talk to them about their sexual function, their sexual response, and their sexual expression. Uh, that we should do it in many little talks, you know, so we don't have to have the big talk all at once. It's less intimidating for us as providers, and it's less intimidating for your patients, you know. So if you bring it up, because it's easier to digest this information in smaller bites over time, right? You hear. It's on the back of my mind right away, but I'm also overwhelmed with all these other things. So, the brochure, right? How important it was to have some information that they could look at so that they know that this, this is an issue. And then, you know, speaking to somebody, you know, hearing a comment, uh, getting some positive information about what their potential is, is, is very, very important. And, you know, everybody's individual appetite is, is different. And so the readiness issue, it has to be, as they said in the panel, repeatedly, repeated invitations to speak about this and to bring up their issues. So everyone uh, should have a copy of this living your life in front of you. So this is a a brochure thanks to Hollister. Uh, They funded uh, the development of this brochure through the United Spinal Association and uh, it's got a pretty reliable author, who is me. (laughs) So some of the information I would have liked to give you this morning as far as sexual response cycles and different models and the effects of level of injury on on sexual function and response you know as is, is all in here okay and so let's just take a moment to just thumb through this and there's questions here if you want to find a partner you can if you're already in a relationship it's possible for that relation relationship to survive and even thrive if you want to have sexual intercourse you can and the techniques you know six different techniques yes can you come get it um and then like for these uh and sci doesn't protect you from sexually transmitted diseases if you want to have a baby so it's talking about the the issues for women and for men if you want to be an active parent if you don't want to have a baby so it's getting into all the contraception Um, we cannot restore sensation you know but sexual pleasure is still possible so that's, that's all in here. And then in the back are resources that are all free, you know, that you could get online, right? So uh, my website and the Miami Project and this Pleasurable, which is on sexual devices. Um, I think, unfortunately, that this came out before sexualitySCI.org, um, but sex, sexualitySCI.org uh, about Mount, Mount Sinai is another... Excellent resource. So you see how important having something like this is So this is also a good tool for you So what I'd like you to do is pair up with somebody at your table if you need to be in a group of three That's fine. And what I want you to do is to Take this book and I want you to take turns hand it to that person that you're paired up with at your table and as as if you're the provider and I want you to offer them this book. I want you to tell them just briefly what's in it and tell them that you're going to leave this resource with them, and if they have any questions, you'd be happy to either answer them or find somebody who can. So just take this. I want you practicing handing it off, telling them about it, right, and giving them an invitation and just Take turns. I want everyone to have a turn having this short little conversation. You got it? You're on your way, everybody. So broaching the subject of sexuality could be the most difficult part for providers, especially when you've had little, no experience or training, as I said in the beginning. But you just did that. That's all you have to do. If you only do one thing, you'd be doing that, okay? So many health professionals are trained when they're taking a, a sexual history or any kind of history is to ask yes and no questions, right? So if there is a question, are you sexually active? A lot of people are waiting for maybe if they get, if they have to ask it, they're waiting for somebody to say no so they could comfortably move on, right? So we really want to make and use techniques that that help yield useful information and to help plan somebody's treatment. So, start general and then get more specific, all right? So, what type of changes have you noticed, you know, in your sexual function response since your injury? You know, really general questions. Or what changes have you noticed since I prescribed you the baclofen, you know? Or what changes did you notice? Or what experiences did you have since the first time that they're coming back as an outpatient? What experiences did you have in the community? Or what experiences did you have with your partner for the first time? So, so start general and use open-ended questions, not yes and no questions. So what is your primary concern? You know. Um, how are you feeling about your sexual future right give people an opportunity to respond to your questions okay so yes and no questions it's easy for people to say no because they're nervous and they don't like the way you ask them and like you said sometimes you have to come back and ask them a few times before they trust you i talked to you about how important trust and safety was right and you heard it over and over again even if it's with the provider they want to have a sense of trust. So you have to let people take time to tell their story without interrupting when you, when you ask them the question. And you wanna acknowledge the, the concerns. I understand you, know, you might be you know, worried about losing control of your bowel and your bladders you your first experience or understand this is upsetting to you, right? So you just listen to them you know, kind of repeat so that they understand that you understand Uh, Their concerns or their anxieties but normalize and legitimize that you know many patients at your level of injury You know have difficulty getting erection or many women are concerned about Where their legs are going to be during sexual activity, right? So you want to kind of normalize it based on letting them know other people in your condition, you know, have these questions, too uh, and avoid judgmental or shaming remarks, you know, because People have all different types of ways of sexual expression. And and I guess I I was out of the room yesterday when uh, Lauren was talking about a situation where a couple brought in a third person into their, you know, sexual relationships as a way of managing for them. So a lot of people, she said, you know, looking out in the audience, had expressions on their faces that were very judgmental, Right. Uh, and, and, but yet, you know, when we're dealing with human sexuality, there's so much variation. So we really want to try to avoid, you know, you know, facial expressions and, you know, and it takes some practice, you know, and to become a sexuality educator, a counselor, a therapist, a, a certified, you have to go through a sexual attitude reassessment seminar. And you're just bombarded with videos of every possible type of sexual situation until you could comfortably, you know, just know about it and and accept it and moves on. Because it's not our job to change people's ways they express themselves sexually. It's just a way to support them in any wish way they would like to do that. And so you heard them before on the panel. You have to develop rapport. And so the goal here, approaching the subject, is to establish rapport and build trust. They told you right now, that's why I said there couldn't be a better panel to make my job easier and to see this is what you need to do. And, you know, they said, slip it in there, right? You slip it in there because you, you, by using matter-of-fact tone of voice, you know, you don't use a higher tone of voice but you don't whisper, right, you don't have to talk differently. You could talk about sexuality just like you talk about every other aspect of rehabilitation and maintain a neutral body language. You know, I was going to take it one step further when you were giving your brochures back and forth, you know, I was watching, because I didn't give you instructions to face each other, to look each other in the the eyes, you know, uh, but we want to pay attention to our body language, because when we're nervous, sometimes we're crossed, or we face away, or we tap our hands, we do things, and so we want to try to just, you know, be comfortable and just look somebody in the face and hand them a brochure and do it in a very natural way. That's why I like to, when I do trainings, I do a lot of practice, case studies, group, fishbowls, different, different role plays. And then the tailor the depth of the discussion to the situation. So you know, if you're like, uh, there's some physical therapists here. If you're on the mat, right, and you, there's, there's time, right? You talk about different things while you're stretching, ranging, or right? So there you could say, you know, have you thought about bed mobility yet? You know, have you thought about that in relationship to sexual activity, right? And so it depends who's around. If you have privacy, then you could talk about it more. If you have not enough privacy, you could say, well, this is some things that we could talk about. I'll make sure so-and-so, the the psychologist or the nurse. Uh, You were sharing me with a, a story. Can you just tell everybody what you said to me when you. Sometimes you don't have space in
0: the room if you have two people in the room sharing. So sometimes when I'm doing the bout and bladder program, pretty loud. Um, okay, I'll just uh, ask while I'm in there uh, private questions or just, what do you do for a living? And then I'll be like, okay, going to other things, do you have children? And then I'll ask finally, What do you think about the future? Do you have any feeling down there? And if I'm cathing someone in the bed, I'm like, do you feel this? And then we'll go into questions. Um, Sometimes I'll have a PCT with me and I'll have to tell them to leave the room to give the person a little privacy. If you see on their face that they're not comfortable or sometimes other professionals are not professional or feel comfortable talking about these subjects. So I do better one-on-one when my patient's talking about it. So I do get some people to talk about it. Upon discharge, I'll bring in the spouse or significant other and we'll talk about it. So I do feel comfortable talking with the patients and their loved ones and I just try to find a proper place. Sometimes there's a quiet room or a family room, I'll go there, but sometimes I do have to dress it in the bathroom because there's nowhere else and I feel uncomfortable there, but that might be the only place.
1: So, and then also, so she has more privacy in that situation, she could talk about it in more details. And you're a nurse, she, she shared that with me. So, and use conditional words when making, you know, a prognosis. So, you know, in here I talk about level of injury and how it affects sexual response and expression, right? Uh, and so if somebody wants to know, well, what is my potential? You know, you could say, well, based on your level of injury, you know, you might experience X, Y, and Z. Uh, and this may happen, you know, if people have problems. If you know they they're, have a tendency towards autonomic dysreflexia, you might say, and you know, when you get very aroused, you may experience autonomic dysreflexia, assuming they know what that is, right? Or this may happen because I know, you know, that, that we've got information based on level of injury and response but it's based on complete injury and and there's hardly anybody who's totally complete. You know, even in women with complete injuries in our lab, you know, we we measure feeling by pinprick and surface sensation, but they're feeling, uh, you know, like they're feeling um, menstrual cramps and some visceral sensations. So, you know, we always, I always tell people, well, you know, this is likely, this may happen, but tell me what your experience is. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me, have you experienced this yet? And, and, and so, really, if you go in and, and you're conditional, because I don't like to say, well, this is never gonna happen for you, you know? You know, some scientists might say, well, you're never gonna experience orgasm again. Well, that's, I haven't found that to be true, okay? I've found that, as I talked before, it doesn't matter on level and completeness of injury. So it depends what you're talking about, but. I wouldn't, you know, we, we don't know enough to, to tell people that something is not possible for them, right? So if someone wants to have a baby, you know, if we can't get the ejaculation and methods that I talked about before, then they could use, like, uh, you know, inter, ICSI, intracytoplasmic plasmic sperm injection, right? So there are ways to make a baby. There are ways to parent. There are ways to get an erection. There's ways to add lubrication. Um, so all this is possible. So you want to provide reassurance based on the best available science. And the best available science is in the clinical practice guidelines that you have. So when you take it home, if you're really serious about this, then go through your guidelines because all of this is, is covered and, it's, and it tells you what, what level of science and what level of information that's, that's based on. So what areas to explore? So I'm going to talk about frameworks. I'm just going to focus on on really one framework, but a framework that existed that the other framework was built on, so that gives you ways of getting into uh, this conversation and understanding it. So this is the one that I like. This guy, John Bancroft, was with the Kinsey Institute for a long time. Uh, But he talks about the effects of disability or illness. And I talk about sexual response and expression. You'll hear me talk about sexual function sometimes, because when we think about sexual health, the first thing that usually comes into mind uh, is function. Can we get an erection? Can we lubricate? Right? Can we ejaculate? Can women menstruate? Can they, you know? So that's all sexual function. Uh, but sexual response includes sexual function, but all the physiological responses. So the human sexual response cycle is a process of two things. It's vasocongestion, which is blood flow and pulling, and myotonia, which is is muscle tension, right? So that's physiologically, when we get aroused, our heart rate increases, right? Our respiration increases, our blood pressure increases, blood flows to different areas. So that's noticed by an erection of the penis, by erection of the clitoris, by lubrication. Right? But there's also other areas of our bodies, nipples, right, get uh, engorged. Um, We feel heat, warmth, right, those kind of sensations, Uh, tingling sometimes sensations. All these are responses, and they're all sexual responses. And some people I work with, their sexual function or response is not impaired, but their ability for sexual expression is impaired. So I work with folks, uh, you know, with CP. And so their ref- function and response is fine, but they're spastic in a wheelchair, the guy I'm working with now, a young man, 30 years old, he's got a, a rod in his spine, so he can't express his sexuality because he can't use his hands, he can't even masturbate. Uh, but if someone else touches him, he works fine, all right? So I talk about sexual response and expression. So. Bancroft says looks at look at the direct I got a pointer here but I don't know if it really makes a difference look at the direct physical effect of the condition the psychological effect of the condition and the treatment effects of the condition right so direct effects of like spinal cord injury we're going to look at specific interference with genital responses sexual function right non-specific effects all right and and so non-specific effects are such things as pain, right? Fatigue, lack of sexual desire, immobility, you know, inability to move, spasticity, we heard about before, different postural changes making, you know, expected sexual positions hard to do. Um, and then on a psychological, whoa. On, I'm going the wrong way, huh? For the psychological effects, we're looking at both the individual, you know, I talk about sexual self-esteem and low sexual self-esteem, and uh, on the relationship, you know, what are the, the, the partnership dynamics and what what's going on? You heard from the partners there that they had different, they were in different places, and you're wondering, you know, Am I still going to be able to please my partner? is my partner still going to find me attractive and, and concerns about effect on the condition. I counseled a couple yesterday and, uh, you know the, the partner was worried about what, what if I you know lie next to him and you know pull out the catheter? what if I you know he had ss too? What if I make the bag you know fall off? or you know what if I aggravate his skin conditions, right? So partners are often concerned about hurting the other person um and and the person with a spinal cord injury might be worried about pooping on the other person right or if i lose control uh, of that so we have to and and i've got slides that go into even more of these um and then concerns about the effect of sex on the condition you know is this going to harm harm the person or make them worse and then the treatment effects I'm going to put the pointer down because. Uh, so, for direct physical effects, altered or impaired genital sensation, right? Including numbness, uh, pain, burning, discomfort. There's all different types of changes in sensation. Uh, there's difficulty in achieving or maintaining an erection, decreased vaginal lubrication, degree, decreased clitoral engorgement, decreased frequency and or force of ejaculation. Okay, decreased frequency and or intensity of orgasm. So these are all things that may directly happen as a result of the spinal cord injury. And then the nonspecific, I talked about sexual desire. Um, An injury doesn't um, inherently reduce your sexual desire as far as directly. But indirectly, there are a lot of things that can put the brakes on um, you feeling like you're lovable or capable or desirable. Uh, Difficulty with mobility and positioning, bowel and bladder dysfunction, muscle tightness, weakness, spasms, autonomic dysreflexia, and, and those strange sensations people have and the psychological effects. We talked about decreased sexual self-esteem, and we heard about changes in body image, and self-image, depression, and anger. You know, anger, a lot of us get angry when we're not in control, right? And we're frustrated, and we can't do anything about it, and we find the easiest emotion to express is anger versus sadness or disappointment. Um, And we heard all about this feeling less sexy or attractive feeling like less masculine, you know, he said, you know, I'm a man, I'm not supposed to be asking for help, right, doing this, or feeling less feminine, less confidence, we heard about confidence, and fear of being rejected. Fear of never finding a partner, worries about satisfying the partner, difficulty communicating with one's partner, and feelings of dependency and inadequacy. So all of these, we're talking about direct physical, psychological effects on person, other, and treatment effects. Scarring goes to body image and leg bags and catheter tubes and ostomies and wheelchairs and how do I look and braces. And then the side effects of medication. You know, so so many medications can put a damper on either your desire, uh, your ability to, you know, get an erection or lubricate or to ejaculate or have an orgasm. So, my friends up in Canada at the British Columbia Rehab Society, uh, they came up with this sexual rehabilitation framework. And this is what I've been trying to really spread so that we have something kind of universal to use throughout. And they created this kind of a mechanism for keeping track when you're doing a sexual health assessment, right, of the different areas because it's a lot to think of. So. There, they have a sheet, and you can record the sexual concern, and you could over time, create your own shorthand for keeping notes and comments and referrals. So you have sexual drive and interest, you can put sexual desire over there, sexual functioning abilities, fertility and contraception, factors associated with the condition, motor and sensory influences, Bowel and bladder influences, sexual self-view and self-esteem, and partnership issues. So this is, you know, a framework that that works well. And what I did, and you have a handout. What I did is try to create, like, some questions for you to use when you're working with people. And on the back here, do you have this? Uh, I'd like you all to take it out. So, what I did on the back here is I created this. I took what they did as a framework, and I took with some of those information that I just shared with you about primary effects, primary concerns, you know, the direct, indirect, and treatment concerns. And what I did is I put the major concerns related to spinal cord injury in each area right? So under the box sexual drive and interest, you have things that would help you when you're doing your history, right? So the three boxes I put in here is decreased in sexual interest, loss of sexual desire, concerns about out-of-control sexual behavior. Under sexual functioning and abilities, same things I had on the slides, okay? Interest in having children, interest in contraceptive options. So all of those things that I showed you, are here. So this could guide you when you're when you're asking people questions. You could kind of go through this and keep track of what they want more information on. You don't have to be a sex therapist, you don't have to be an expert, right? You need to be able to find out what the information is and then we talk about using a team approach. Like I may be more comfortable talking with my aide and that aide then should share it with the nurse or the doctor. And when you have your meetings, then figure out who is the right person to provide more information on this. So the, the person who talks about positioning is different than the one who's gonna talk about fertility-related issues. Okay, so you have this framework here, and you can use it. So you can keep your eye on that so you don't have to take a whole lot of, of notes. So you know how to broach the the subject now, okay, and so what should you ask? A lot of the questions I have here, uh, but I talk about what is your most pressing sexual question, concern, or problem? Very open-ended, you know, I don't ask, you know, what kind of sexual dysfunction you have, or you know. um, So people's concerns at different points are different. So you might not be concerned about whether I can ejaculate right here on day one. Ten years later, now you know it's possible, right? Now I'm sure you're going to be exploring that, right? But if you were planning on having a baby before your injury and you still want to do that, then you might be like, can I ejaculate, right? So the questions are very different. You may not be asking that if you're not even in a relationship. You're thinking, well, will I ever find a partner? right so what is your most pressing sexual question and concern so it's really patient centered right patient oriented education then would you mind telling me a little bit more about that you want people to paint a picture of their situation you want to have an understanding of what they're concerned may i ask you some more details so i could guide you better right continually asking permission like i asked the panelists right i know that you were here volunteering To share with us but each time i asked i asked if you mind i was trying to model for you for you guys how to talk with people in a a polite respectful way that might encourage them to see that you you respect them and that you know you're doing this for them and, and they'll offer you more information so how long have you been experiencing this problem? So some of the people are gonna come to you, you're a lot of young folks on the panel, but some older folks are gonna come to you and they are gonna have underlying medical conditions. So they may have been experiencing their problems with pain, dairy, and intercourse before their injury, right? So uh, is it situational or does it appear with a, a particular partner or all the time, right? So sometimes, well, you know, I, I was able to get an erection in this situation, but when I was a partner, I couldn't, right? So we begin to think, or if it happens all the time. So these give us like different ideas diagnostically of what the, the primary issue might be. What's the etiology or the source of the issue? And how do you respond differently when you're stimulating yourself? Because when we add a partner, right, there's a whole nother dynamic. Now. In a lot of the information you hear, and and some of the good information about uh, sexuality from some of my colleagues, they'll tell people, uh, you need to masturbate first and figure it out on your own before you know what's going on and you're with a partner. Now, I talked about in my research, masturbation was a lot of times people's first experience, and no one talked to them about that this is going to be different, and no one told them about their sexual potential. And they said, oh, it doesn't work. This is pointless. It's going nowhere, right? So, we want to um, able-bodied advice is masturbate, find out how it works, and then go to partner with it with a person with a disability. By themselves, they may find out. Well, I'm not really getting aroused by myself, but when I'm with a partner, I seem to be feeling all these other things. My heart races, you know. Uh, I'm breathing heavy, I might get more aroused when I'm with a partner. So some people need that particular energy, they need that particular person to be with that really you know, fuels their response. And how much of a problem is this for you? Well, it's not a real problem for me now, but how about your partner? So it may be a bigger partner problem for the partner and for your relationship. So depending on the urgency, this is an issue that doesn't need to be addressed right away or later, or it's more urgent. So let the person tell you, but at least they know that this is, this is part of their, their, their rehabilitation, and when they're ready, they can ask it. Um, what do you think is the cause of your problem? It's amazing what people think, and what have they tried on their own to solve. So, well, of course it's my spinal cord injury, right? And yeah, this guy gave me this liquid, which I have to find out what it was. Wait, is he still here? <laughs> um, so, uh, um, but anyway, it's, it's a good idea because if you're not seeing them for the first time and they've been out in the community, uh, people are gonna get a lot of information, a lot of misinformation, they're gonna try things. Uh, and what kind of treatment do you think you should receive? So always involving the patient and what medications are you currently taking? Cause it's beyond the time here. But the amount of side effects of medication on sexual response is, is huge. Who have you sought treatment from this already? What other information do you think I should know? What are the most important results you hope to receive? And what other sexual concerns would you like to cover? So a lot of that is in, in your li- Those questions are on the other side here. See on the other side? Um, addressing sexual health is a routine part of your rehabilitation? Would it be okay if I asked you specific questions to help me understand more about your concerns? Um, I've got here, like, what pronouns do you prefer? So if you don't know what per- people's different gender expression is or orientation, um, I always assume or don't assume orientation at all. So. My language is always neutral. My language is always partner, partners. So I don't specifically ask whether people have sex with men, women, or both. Because in, when people do a sex history, medical people, is you have sex with men, women, or both. So I ask. I just kind of assume I don't know. So I always use um, as much as possible as far as orientation, general things as far as pronouns. Uh, you know. Historically, I haven't asked that question, but now I've added that to my intakes because as we change and people are more, you know, personal about how they identify gender-wise, I I put that on there. And when we go a little deeper, I don't know why these slides are are blank. Um, Anyway, when we we go, we're gonna work off the sheet. As we go a little deeper, we, we talk about, how would you describe your sexuality before your injury? So there, once again, is a very open-ended question because you know, how people are going to respond and what they need now is very related to before their injury, right? So, well, I wasn't very sexually active before my injury. I've had no sexual experience. Now I don't know what, I've, what it's going to be like because I never had something to compare, right? So we want to kind of ask these questions Uh, Tell me more about your sexuality since acquiring your injury, right? Very open-ended, giving people the opportunity to do that. I've got this fill in the blank here, right? How does your current sexual interest compare to your past? Or how does your current function compare to your past, okay? You could keep going down the list. What is most troubling for you at the moment? What I'm trying to give to you, and if we had more time, we would be doing um, role plays, is language. Because what's most difficult is having the language to use so that you're comfortable and that your patients will be comfortable. So the plicit model has been in rehab forever. Have anyone ever heard of this? Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's an acronym for permission, right? You want to give people permission to ask about sexuality. You want to ask people's permission to dig deeper. Um, you want to provide information, not necessarily limited information, but it stands for limited information. But from what I understand, when um, Jack Annan came up with this model, if it was permission, information and specific some suggestions intensive therapy it would have been the PISIT model right so they added the l for limited information but you want to attend to any misinformation and misguided information and beliefs right provide accurate information and you could make specific suggestions by doing these brief sexual health assessments right so when i know that your question is about positioning then we can make specific things. If I know it's about how do I get an erection, then we know if it's a no about how do I you know, lubricate, we, we can answer those specific questions. And then make appropriate referrals as indicated, right? So know who else on your team, know who you could tap into outside of your hospital and for referrals if, if necessary. So you have your, your clinical practice guidelines there. So I want you to be able to use them. If you want to go deeper, you could get into exploring uh, values and beliefs and doing more. But this this is stuff um, that might be done more by a counselor.
0: For more information about the research of Kessler Foundation, go to www.kesslerfoundation.org. That's www. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter.